interested in taking a deep dive each week into a compliance or compliance-related topic? Then Compliance Into the Weeds is the podcast for you. Join Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, and Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, as they go into the weeds to flesh out a story which you can use to better inform your compliance program. Both you and your compliance program will be the better for listening to this podcast. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Today, we are going to take up the OCC, that's Office of Comptroller of the Currency, uh, notice of charges in, uh, involving Wells Fargo. Uh, certain uh, officers and officers of the company, Carrie Tolstat, Claudia Anderson, James Strother, David Julian, Paul Linko, and the former uh, CEO of uh, the bank as well. It is a uh, uh, just a stunning order, and Matt and I have both uh, taken a deep dive into it. So first of all, Matt, I should uh, say welcome, and uh, I'm greatly looking forward to getting your thoughts on this matter. Yeah, sure. Hello, Tom. There certainly is a, a whole lot of stuff here. It's 100 pages of a complaint against these four executives, and there, there's something in every single paragraph that's worth thinking about. So, Matt, one of the things that really struck me in uh, just the scope of the order, um, I I don't think we're going to take the complete deep dive into many of the facts, but the risk management personnel that were named. So we had, for instance, Claudia Anderson, former community bank group risk officer, James Strother, former general counsel, David Julian, former chief auditor, uh, Paul McLinko, former executive audit director. We have people who are charged with risk management, and they either turn their head or bury their head in the sand, and now they are all paying a significant financial penalty and uh, lack of employability penalty going forward. I guess maybe I could start with what are your general thoughts on holding these people to such a high standard? I have mixed feelings about this because – in best practice world, we should be not entirely comfortable with the idea that the former chief audit executive, David Julian, and Paul McClinko, the uh, former executive audit director for Wells Fargo, they, they both oversaw Wells Community Bank Division, which is what OCC regulates. Like These guys are both um, second and third line of defense executives. Actually, they're both third line of defense executives. They're not even in the second line. Um, So in theory, they should be there to provide assessments of risk and then to help test controls that the business puts in place to reduce those risks. And yet when you look through the OCC complaint, all over the place, you see the charges against those two, um, failure to prevent that's the phrase, and it appears many different times. Um, and I think a lot of executives would say, whoa, audit executives and compliance professionals too, would probably say, well, well, you know, it's not my job to prevent misconduct. It is my job to build the systems that help others not to commit misconduct. And audit executives are there to assess the risk and test the control systems, not to be responsible for when they work or they don't work. That's the best practice theory. Then 
read this 100-page complaint and you will just be left thinking, what on earth were these two guys doing or not doing? Never mind also, um, there was the former general counsel whose name escapes me at the moment. Um, there was the community banking head, Carrie Tolstead, who is looking at big trouble. Um, and of course, the former CEO, John Stumpf, who has already reached an agreement. He pled out. Uh, he's never going to work in banking again, and he's paid agreed to pay a $17.5 million fine. Tolstead, John Stump, they're operating executives. Okay, it is their job, and they screwed it up. I, like You're not supposed to say that about the audit executives, and yet when you read through the specific facts of the warnings that uh, David Julian and Paul McClinko were pr- apparently given and uh, the actions that they did not then take, you're like, I, you don't know what to say. It, it really is something about the dividing line about when do you cross over into being liable for misconduct at the firm, even though in theory you're not supposed to be preventing it. It's not supposed to be – you know, you're not in charge of a foolproof system. So like at a very high level, I struggle a bit with this. But then you read through the facts and you're like, okay, I guess these guys should have the book thrown at them, and that's what OCC clearly is trying to do. So, Matt, in, under the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, for instance, uh, it's written into the law a prohibition of conscious indifference, or as I would say, putting your head in the sand. Uh, that clearly seems to be what was going on here. But I guess on the to echo your your last point is bad facts make bad law, or at least that's what lawyers think. Yep. And the facts here are absolutely horrible. Um, but we did have the front line actually responding in this case. There were I think a figure of 30,000 internal reports complaining of the um, incentive system, which drove the fraudulent accounts scandal. So it seemed to actually the front line was working here. And the part that was dysfunctional was the second and third lines. Do you think that might have had uh, anything to do with this? Clearly it did. Um, You know, and, for example, then, uh, David Julian and I also – I think McClinko as well, um, he was on a committee that oversaw sales practices and incentives and whether or not the incentives at Wells Fargo would lead to um, misconduct among the sales team. So like, what is an audit executive doing on a committee that is basically reviewing compensation risks? I could see the HR team or maybe the compensation committee on the board if it rose to that level of concern. I could see them looping in the chief audit executive and say, go audit this for us. And the audit executive might come back and say, this is a mess. Here are your five action items. You should do this within six months. Um, You know, that sort of arrangement would make sense. I don't necessarily – get the idea that an audit executive should be on these um, in-house risk committees that really are much more hands-on than what an audit executive really should be doing. Um, Nonetheless, there he was, and, you know, the investigations function at Wells Fargo was routinely raising red flags, vermilion flags, scarlet flags, every single flag you could, saying that sales pressure was leading to gross levels of misconduct, was leading to, uh, I'll uh, pick out one detail I wrote down here. By 2011, the investigations team told McClinko, the audit executive for the community banks, uh, told him in writing, 
community bank sales integrity issues have resulted in two arrests. This is highly unusual, but reinforces the fact that this type of activity is unlawful and poses a reputation risk to our company. I mean, you think so? Two people arrested? I mean, yes, that qualifies, therefore, as unlawful. I would say it poses a reputation risk. He put it in an email to McClinko. You can't really do much more than stapled it to somebody's forehead. Um, and yet McClinko took no action regarding that. Um, there are other details like the uh, investigations function was only resourced to fund to examine the top 0.1% of employees who had complaints against them. So at one point, Wells Fargo was getting 30,000 complaints a month about its sales practices. And the investigations team had enough money to investigate the three worst offenders out of 30,000 every month. And um, that, you would say, probably is a reputation risk. It is an operational risk. Uh, and yet nobody was taking any action. Well, you know, is it up to the audit executive to say this is a big deal? Is it up to the audit executive to you know tattoo that on the CEO's forehead? I mean, what are they going to do? Um, on the other hand, it was very clear that you know, the at this particular team at Wells Fargo, they didn't do anything. But what would you do in that sort of a scenario where the upper management clearly was just not really motivated, not interested in a healthy compliance function? I, I don't know. I just I, we could go on and on. I could cite paragraph after paragraph of wincing stuff, but that's the sort of thing that seemed to be happening at Wells Fargo in the mid 2010s before it all unraveled in 2016. One of the things that struck me was a customer actually complained about receiving a uh, fraudulent account opened in that customer's name, and the customer correctly noted that if I made these representations to the bank, I would have created engaged in criminal activity and been subject to uh, a criminal uh, fine penalty or jail time. And it really drove home to me the criminal actions <clears throat> of Wells Fargo in and of itself. Yet even with that information, with the uh, information from the investigative unit being forwarded up, it was not enough to get these uh, audit executives or really any of the other executives uh, to move forward um, to remedy this situation, to first of all, stop it, and second of all, remedy it. Um, mm -hmm. are, it I guess I wanted to really explore, is this the continuing reaction to uh, Too Big to Fail, the Chicken Shit Club, the failure to bring any bankers to justice, or are we, um, because of the quantity and quality of the Wells Fargo scandal, is this something really different? You know, I think it is something more different than um, this was pervasive misconduct throughout the whole organization that went on for many years. It went on down at the front lines as tellers were making these abuses. It really went on at the very top as the executives just had this devil may care sort of blind eye attitude about it all. Um, so, you know, I, I don't necessarily know that uh, is Wells Fargo, is Wells Fargo too big to fail? Well, yes, but it did have an asset freeze placed upon it by the Fed, which is a severe penalty in banking world, especially for large banks. Um, it did have what I think one quarter of the board directors were told to be forced off. I don't know how many CEOs the bank has already gone through um, since 2016. And you know, it has 
suffered immense amount of personal reputation risk um, for the bank as a whole. So there are a lot of penalties. I mean, it, <clears throat> I don't necessarily know that putting a criminal indictment on Wells would be that productive um, because it is a drastic step and Wells is a very important player in the banking system. And I, I suppose you could do that, but you'd have to telegraph it very clearly and there'd be a lot of choreography to make sure that it it didn't somehow spread systemic risk to the financial system. Um, Tom, you gave one gripping detail there about the customer who complained. I will reply with this second telling detail. Um, in 2015, OCC sent a notice to Wells Fargo that it had concerns about the bank's sales practices. The bank replied to that note from OCC. They even said McClinko would be the accountable executive to address that problem from the regulator. They would shed. We think this is a big problem. After that exchange back and forth where McClinko basically had to put his neck in the stockade, um, he still was rating the bank's sales practices as effective even after the regulator had said, we don't think it's effective. We think this is a big problem. And this is years after that stuff I had mentioned two minutes ago about the investigations team saying people are getting arrested. It's probably an issue. Um, so you have to just look at the astonishing lack of action from executives who are gatekeepers and they were charged with uh, a higher calling i suppose and now of course they're being charged civilly for not responding to that higher calling but um you you, you could go on and on absolutely and i guess the other thing that struck me was um we rarely see uh pervasive conduct literally throughout the organization. And here we saw it at the lowest levels because of the uh, incentives and pressure put on the employees to sell, sell, sell. We saw it at middle management who put the pressure on the employees. My favorite line was, you know, there's a, a branch where someone was murdered. Why don't you just go work there? Um, and, uh, and then, of course, the, the executives that we are talking about here in the anti-corruption world, even with companies with perhaps the most pervasive worldwide corruption, with the exception of Odebrecht and Petrobras, I really can't think of a company that had uh, these types of systemic failures literally at every level of the organization. And uh, perhaps the OCC is just being creative here in terms of their penalties because of that overall pervasiveness and no real lack or no real uh, model or precedent to go by. You know, that's very possible because we haven't seen this. Um, I also wanted to bring up a, a second uh, issue that streaked across my radar screen earlier today was uh, for all the compliance officers who are listening out there after we've been bashing the audit executives for the last uh, 15 minutes or so. Um, the New York City Bar Association just put out a report today about compliance officer liability. They were looking specifically at financial firms, which under the Investment Companies Act of 1940 – uh, compliance officers have some heightened liability standards. And, you know, they basically were looking for boundaries around when does a company's general lack of interest in good compliance, which isn't a compliance officer's fault. There are plenty of compliance officers who labor under weak structured roles or insufficient budgets or management and businesses that, you know, they just don't care. Um, that's not your fault, and if you're trying to implement an effective compliance program, when does that bigger disinterest become so severe that you personally might be liable? 
Um, in the financial sector, it is highly unusual, but not unheard of. Outside of finance, it's, it's even more rare. Um, but, you know, I, I struggle with a lot of that. Uh, you know, certainly, look, if you're complicit in the misconduct, if you're grossly negligent, I don't have much trouble with regulators hanging the compliance or audit executive out to dry. That may be the case with Wells Fargo and what OCC is trying to do here. Um, but we don't really have a good answer from regulators generally about when does the lack of ability to build an effective compliance program translate into such a severe transgression that you personally should face some liability. Um, I don't know what the examples are or, or what the boundaries are there, but clearly other people are thinking about it. It's very much related to what we're talking about here at uh, at a, a more abstract level than just the factual mess, otherwise known as Wells Fargo. But but that's something else that's been on my mind. You know, that's a really interesting point. I um, am really persuaded that, at least in the financial services arena, when we have seen compliance officers or chief compliance officers uh, civilly prosecuted, I can't think of a criminal prosecution offhand. It is because, as you have said, they were either in on the scam or grossly negligent. Um, so I have absolutely no problem with those prosecutions. Uh, typically, we don't see, as I recall, audit executives unless they engage in a very high level of, of negligence. And and I don't know if that's what, if this fits the bill here with what happened at Wells Fargo. I mean, it, but you can make the argument, OCC paints a very compelling picture. Um, I know the ex-general counsel has said that he will fight these charges. I am not sure if David Julian or Paul McClinko will be fighting them, but, um, you know, it doesn't look very good right now. You have to wonder why they would uh, would want to publicly do that. Uh, certainly, uh, if I were any uh, commercial bank or federally chartered bank, I would think very long and hard about looking at one of them for a potential hire uh, going forward. Yeah, like I said, it's just um, it's fascinating reading. I would definitely recommend that. I, at some point, I am going to do a deep dive post into OCC in particular and Wells Fargo, um, but. You know, compliance and audit executives are not wrong to feel a certain unease with their potential liability for circumstances beyond their control. On the other hand, paying attention, trying to get something done is within your control. I strongly suspect that uh, if you were in a Wells Fargo situation and you were shouting like this, you probably wouldn't get anything done. And then what do you do? Do you quit? Do you walk out? Do you cooperate with regulators and blow the whistle. I don't know. None of that apparently happened here at Wells Fargo, but it's, um, it is a painful example of uh, compliance gone amiss. So Matt, uh, unfortunately we are near the end of our time, but uh, I was wondering if you might uh, be able to wrap up kind of your thoughts when you came in or where they are now. Well, I think that my thoughts going out are the same as coming in is that we do need probably, uh, more guidance from someone, uh, industry regulator, a professional group or somebody, what are the boundaries of a compliance or audit executive's liability when the company has a failed approach to good risk assurance? Um, sometimes the compliance or audit executive might be part of that failed effort. Sometimes they might be fighting against it. And at what point does your inability to get something done 
cross over into uh, something that should be held liable, civilly, criminally, whatever. But we need more clarity around when your inability to get something done should result in some liability. And we don't have that right now. Matt, this has been a fascinating exploration of a case that uh, continues to uh, fascinate all of us. So I look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions on me, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. Matt's going to put up a blog post on this shortly, so check it out when it comes out on radicalcompliance.com. I hope you'll join Matt and I again next week where we take another deep dive into the weeds on a compliance topic. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.